over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the so-called cardinal vices, also referred to as the seven deadly sins. I thought it might be helpful for us this morning just to briefly define for us what a vice or what a virtue actually is. And I think it's helpful, at least it has been helpful for me, and so therefore I give it to you. Perhaps it'll be helpful for you to, to think about vices and virtues primarily as habits of the heart. That is to say that vices and virtues are internal characteristics that drive our behaviors. They're habits of the heart that can be cultivated, and as we cultivate them, they predispose us to act and to respond in certain and I think even predictable ways. Virtues, then, are those habits of the heart that lead us to act in healthy, in constructive ways. And vices are those habits of the heart that lead us to act in unhealthy, in destructive ways, in sinful ways. Remember, these are cardinal vices. They're source sins because they are, in some real and tangible ways, the roots of sinful behavior. They themselves are the source of sin. And so the vices that we're discussing are habits of the heart that cause us to sin. We've already looked at what we can call the granddaddy of them all, which is pride. And we've looked at pride's children, greed and envy. And today we were supposed to look at the spiritual vice, the spiritual vice of sloth. But I couldn't get my sermon written this week. Yes. First, what is sloth? We'll ask that question. Second, why is sloth even a vice in the first place? We'll ask that question. And then finally, what is the antidote to sloth? Now, if I ask you the question, what do you think about when you hear the word sloth, what do you think of? Most of us, I think, would think of uh, that sort of weirdly cute, slow-motion moving creature, right? Mona got me on that one. Some of us may think about that uh, character from the beloved 80s movie Goonies, where Sloth loves Chunk. Hey, you guys. Most of us probably think of, of laziness or idleness. We think about people who are lethargic and have no energy, either by choice or out of physical necessity. But those things aren't actually sloth. Couch potatoism isn't sloth itself. It's actually just an expression, it's a manifestation, it's a symptom of sloth. Laziness is a symptom of sloth. Lethargy, a symptom of sloth. Sloth itself goes beyond just the exterior, the physical. Sloth goes into the heart. And so to get at a real, uh, true Full definition of sloth. We turn back to the 4th century desert fathers. And I know that you're thinking, hey, that sounds really fun. But it is really cool because it helps us to understand the heart of the matter. And that is where sloth lies, is in the heart. These desert fathers were some of the earliest uh, monks. They, they retreated from the world. They went into the desert. They were believers in Jesus who hung out there in the desert and pursued the spiritual life. And what they tell us is that they have this thing that we call sloth, that they call Acadia, A-C-E-D-I-A, Acadia. 
They refer to Acadia as a lack of love, a lack of care that they would experience as they're trying to pursue Jesus, as they're trying to pursue the spiritual life. They would be uh, oppressed and uh, internally would be attacked to give up, to give in, to walk away, to not care about what they have been given to do. So before anything else, above anything else, sloth is a habit of the heart that doesn't care. Sloth is a habit of the heart that lacks love. Sloth is a habit of the heart that, in the words of Dorothy Sayers, believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive only because there is nothing it would die for. Sloth is a spiritual vice in which the heart has the habit of not loving and then is expressed physically, either in extreme lethargy or, in a paradoxical fashion, hyperactivity. This habit of the heart manifests itself in lethargic despair, the point of uncaring to the point where we say to ourselves, what's the use? I'm just going to sit here and eat Doritos. (laughs) Sounds like a great Saturday afternoon. Or ironically enough, it will drive us to hyperactivity precisely because sloth seeks to avoid and sloth will avoid through lethargy, not doing anything, or through workaholism, avoiding the very thing that must be dealt with. So let's think about it this way. Perhaps it's helpful. There are people in the world who are theists, right? A theist is someone who believes that there is a divine being, that there is a God. They're theists. They're over here. And then over on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who are atheists. They do not believe that there is a divine being. They don't think there is any such thing as God. And then there are people who are in the middle, and they call themselves or are referred to as agnostic. They claim they can't know that there is or isn't a God. They perhaps are unwilling even to claim that they don't care to know if there is or isn't a God. This is a stance, I think, that is a rough equivalent to people who, in a 2011 USA Today article, were defined as spiritually apathetic. They simply shrug off God, religion, heaven, or the ever-trendy search for meaning and purpose. So sloth isn't just manifested in the spiritual beliefs of individuals. It isn't just about God or about uh, the way we relate to the divine. It, It can also be and is expressed in every single human relationship or avenue of pursuit even, that we human beings find ourselves in. We can be slothful, we are slothful towards God, yes, but we can also be slothful towards one another. We can be uncaring towards God, which manifests itself physically by either lethargy or hyperactivity, seeking to avoid God, or we can be slothful towards one another in our relationships. You can find it in our marriages, in our parent-child relationships, in our work relationships, and in our friendships, a heart, a habit of heart, where we don't care, we don't love, manifested physically, our unloving acted out. But why is this a vice, and why is it one of these cardinal vices? Why is it so serious that it would be considered to be a deadly sin? Well, I want to make two very serious statements, and you can accuse me of being dramatic or hyperbolic, and that's fine, but they're nonetheless serious for it. First, let me say this. For a believer in Jesus, sloth is a spiritual vice that is deadly to one's faith 
and life in Jesus. Because sloth can and will kill faith. Second, let me say this. I, I believe that sloth is the manifestation of pride that most affects the 21st century American church as individuals and as a whole. Yes, the church has lust problems. And yes, the church has greed problems. And yes, the church has gluttony problems. But the capital vice that strikes me as leading the pack is sloth. And I say both of these things because for a believer in Jesus, sloth is particularly insidious. And for a body of believers, a church in Jesus, it is particularly dangerous precisely because of where sloth attacks, of how it's manifested. Sloth is a lack of care for God and the things of God, and it is expressed in both active and passive resistance to God's transforming work in believers by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sloth resists the process of sanctification by flying away or by fighting it. Let's go back to the desert for just a moment, back to those desert monks to help us unpack what we mean. Evagrius of Pontus referred to sloth as the noonday demon. Anyone ever here in here ever get the sleepies about 12:30? I've never had that problem in my entire life. Evagrius called the sl- called sloth this Acadia, the noonday demon because it attacked monks between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Right? During these hours, monks experienced distraction. They experienced an internal pressure to do something else than what they had been given to do. They experienced an internal pressure and a desire to be somewhere else than they were assigned to be. Sloth was attacking their spiritual identity and their vocational calling, and it was leading them to doubt. Sloth would whisper into the ears of these monks, and I say that he does it to us, sloth does it to us as well. This is too hard. This isn't good for you. Do something else. Do something you say is better. Give up the hard stuff. Take the easy way out. This is why sloth is so deadly. It attacks believers in Jesus within the hard work of sanctification, within the transformation process. It attacks the yoke of Jesus Christ. In our gospel reading this morning from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, starting at verse 25, we heard Jesus say this, Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the wider passage, Jesus describes the life of discipleship. He begins by saying, I thank you, Father, that those who are humble, those who are poor in spirit, here, the children, those are the ones that you reveal me to. And I thank you, Father, that through the Son who you reveal to them, through the Son, they can know you, the Father. And there, in that place of discipleship, in the place of knowing the Father through the Son, we are yoked to Jesus. And this yoking to Jesus is another word picture for discipleship. It doesn't mean a life of leisure and luxury. For while Jesus uses the word rest to describe this life, he doesn't mean rest from obedience and actively living for God. He seems to mean rest from any effort of self-rescue. And this yoke is a farm image. 
A yoke was a, a piece of wood that would connect two animals and then connect those two animals together to an apparatus, usually to till the soil. And what it did was not remove the workload from one animal and place it upon another. Rather, it made the workload manageable between the two. Discipleship here is being yoked to Jesus, connected to him, in which he shares his load with us, in which his burden becomes ours. Being yoked with Jesus then necessarily means we find our identity not in ourselves, but in him in who he has made us to be, and in where he is going. So that's the other part of this being yoked with Jesus. It's the implication of forward movement that we go where he goes. He leads and we follow. And so the yoke that Jesus talks about is cruciform. It is cross-shaped. Every gospel account of Jesus builds its narrative towards the crucifixion. And there, it is of no accident that Jesus tells his disciples they too must pick up their cross and follow after him. And so the disciple of Jesus, yoked to Jesus, is to die with Jesus. The follower of Jesus, yoked to Jesus, is to be crucified with Christ. And that's where sloth begins to whisper, it's too hard. There's an easier way. Don't do this. And it's true. It is hard and it can be painful. And yet, if we allow sloth to lead us into dropping that load and stepping out of the yoke of Jesus Christ, then we will miss the glory of resurrection, the new life in Jesus. Because after Jesus was crucified, he died, but he didn't stay dead. And raised to new life, Jesus offers new life to all believers in him. And so, just as the yoke is cruciform in shape, it also carries with it the promise of new life in him. St. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that is where sloth responds. Sloth responds to this, the demand of the yoke, the demand of transformation, the demand to be different by the power of the Holy Spirit, the demand of sanctification with fight or with flight. Perhaps a humorous illustration at this point will both help us to lighten the mood and capture the meaning. Do you guys remember Jack Handy from Saturday Night Live? You may remember Jack Handy from Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy. No, no one? Some, okay, a few people. Good. Whew. Well, s- some of you may enjoy this. Others of you will roll your eyes, but it's okay. I'm going to use it nonetheless. So Jack Handy used to have little statements on Saturday Night Live that were absolutely ludicrous. They're called deep thoughts. You know, it's like, why, does, why do people always pump the brakes when they're driving off a cliff? Right? You ever think about that? Anyway. Well, in a book of his called Fuzzy Memories, Jack Handy writes, there used to be a bully who would demand my lunch money every day. Since I was smaller, I would give it to him. Then I decided to fight back. I started taking karate lessons, but then the karate lesson guy said I had to start paying him $5 a lesson. So I just went back to paying the bully. (laughs) That's sloth. That's flight from the difficult work of God's transforming power. That's an expression of sloth, and it leads us to avoid. Sloth will lead us to avoid the things of God. 
Sloth will lead us to avoid the people of God. Sloth, because it says don't do the hard thing, do the easy thing, will lead us to avoid prayer, corporate worship, scripture, sacraments, and service. Sloth will lead us to avoid the body of Jesus because quite often within the body of Jesus, we see Jesus reflected. And we want to avoid that because of what it means. Sloth can and will lead us to church shop, to opt out to avoid stability which comes from a commitment and investment to a body of believers. Thomas Aquinas called sloth sorrow about spiritual good. And so sloth will lead us away from the spiritual goods that are a part of being yoked with Jesus. Uncomfortable at the difficulty of dying to self and being transformed by God, sloth manifests our pride by taking the easy way out, avoiding that which God wants to do in us, by opting out. It flees. But sloth will also fight. A fight, I'd like to share again from Dorothy Sayers. It is one of the favorite tricks of this sin, sloth, to dissemble itself under cover of a whiffling activity of body. She goes on to say that activities and busyness, workaholism, can be disguises for the empty heart and the empty brain and the empty soul of Acadia. Think about this, hyperactivity, workaholism, what does it do? It doesn't allow us to pay attention to what God wants to do in our lives. There's an app now that you can buy for your phone that creates a fake calendar for you so that you can tell your friends, sorry, I've got something scheduled. (laughs) Hyperactivity does the exact same thing to God without the technology. We don't have time to avail ourselves to the means of grace and scripture and sacrament, we tell ourselves. We don't have time to spend time in prayer or in service or in community. Uncomfortable at the difficulty of dying to self and being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, sloth manifests our pride by taking the easy way out, again, avoiding that which God wants to do, this time by hyperactivity. Folks, this is why sloth is a vice. This is why it's a sourced sin. And this is why I believe that sloth is the vice of 21st century American Christians and Christianity. Sloth is a lack of care for God and the things of God and is expressed in flight or fight to God's transforming work in believers by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, thank God it doesn't have to be this way. One of the things that we have to make clear as we continue to walk through this process of looking at these source sins, these capital vices, these seven deadly sins, we're not doing it so that we can roll around in our filth and, and in a perverse pride say, look at us, what horrible sinners we are. We're doing this so that we can see for ourselves who we are, that we may surrender these things to God and be forgiven in Jesus Christ and have new life there. We're doing this so that we can have that which we need, an antidote. And there is an antidote to the poison of sloth. If sloth is a lack of care for God and the things of God, then it is most certainly the first thing that we must do toward healing is to love or care for and toward God the more. Perhaps it is that we must begin to learn again and again the depth and character of God's love for us. And in learning of God's love for us, then begin to grow in our love for him. 
Perhaps it is that we must be, in a sense, re-gospel that we can capture, that we can be captured by the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. And when I say learn, I don't mean simply head knowledge. I also mean knowing in the center of our being, at the core of who we are. Father Mike used to talk about knowing in our knower. I think that's a reflection of the biblical concept of heart, the center of who we are. In ourselves, we know the love of God found in Jesus Christ. And beginning there, understanding with our head and our hearts the depth and love of God's love for us and responding with love of and for him, we are then finally ready to take the next step, which is holy effort dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Julia read for us this morning an amazing passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. And here we find the natural next step being uh, loving God leads to change in behavior and the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is the antidote to sloth. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me just read that again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God gives you everything he wants you to have so that you can get out of this life of sin and share in his perfected divine nature. Not that we would become like gods or become little gods in ourselves, but like him we would be morally divine. Like him, we would be perfected. God gives you everything that you need. God gives me everything that I need. Verse 5, for this very reason, because God gives you everything that you need, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. There's that word, habit of the heart that leads to character building, that leads to behavior, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And if you skip down in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, skip down to chapter or the verse 11. Therefore, brothers, uh, verse 10, sorry. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter here is talking about sanctification. Peter here is talking about transformation. First comes grace. First comes new life in Jesus Christ. First comes the reception of the divine power that is good and necessary for all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's the Holy Spirit. And then, because of what you've received from God, live in the way God wants you to live actively. Not dropping the yoke and running away, as sloth will tell you. Not uh, overfilling your schedule with busyness because you think it's holier than seeking God. Rather, to make every effort to grow in the virtues, to grow in sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not because you can do it, but because He will do it. Not because you have done it, because you haven't. But because He wants to do it in you. This growth, this effort, is exactly what sloth attacks. And this holy effort, dependent upon, God, dependent upon God's divine power in the Holy Spirit, is the only antidote for the poison that ails us. 
It is pretty close to a rule of life. Nothing good comes without effort. God's grace, folks, is not opposed to effort. In fact, God's grace, having been received, leads us in to effort. What do we do then? Well, if you're convicted of sloth today, the first thing to do is confess your sin. In our worship service, we have such a wonderful time built in for a response to the word proclaimed. We're going to spend time worshiping the Lord in song. We will offer our prayers and our confession. We'll come to the table of the Lord for bread and wine. And if you are today convicted of this sin of sloth or of pride, of greed, of envy, or any other sin, now is the time for confession. Now is the time to receive the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of sin that God offers to us in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. Plenty of opportunity to be prayed with and prayed for. Take it. The second thing to do then is to lean into the yoke of Christ. To lean into Christ himself and there to lean into the divine power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to actively work toward growth and transformation, that thing we call sanctification. We are given by God's incredible grace the ability to have life with him and in him. We then are called to live that life in the power of the Holy Spirit, diligently working with his divine power to be like Christ, the very one who secures our salvation, the very one who pours out the Holy Spirit, the very one to whom we are yoked. So, this Lenten season, in the power of the Holy Spirit, let us resolve to punch the noonday demon in the face. Let us resolve to commit ourselves to the things of God, the means of grace in word and sacrament, the spiritual disciplines of fasting, prayer, almsgiving, corporate worship, and service, not in our power, but in the divine power God pours out to us in his indwelling Holy Spirit. Sloth is a lack of care for God and the things of God. It's expressed in both active and passive resistance to God's transforming work in believers by the power of the Holy Spirit. Its antidote is found in love of God and in holy effort that is dependent upon the grace of God and the indwelling spirit he gives. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand together and continue our worship in song.